I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, everyone. Uh, Jeremy here from Sick Boy Podcast. And if this sounds like a giant pile of shit, it's because I'm recording it on my cell phone in the middle of a party street in the middle of Austin, Texas. So, uh... Okay, stop that. That's Bridie. She's fucking around. Uh, we're we're here at South by Southwest. Uh, we're still here at South by Southwest. And guess what? We recorded an episode two days ago. It was fucking amazing. Andrew Palmer was such an amazing guest. It's the episode we're going to put out for you today. And I just want to say um, a huge, huge, huge thank you to every single human being who's ever taken the time to download and listen to our podcast. If it wasn't for you, um, this trip, this opportunity would not have been given to us. This means so much to us, and this entire experience has been unforgettable. Um, Andrew Palmer was such an amazing guest. We cannot wait for you to hear him. And look, you know what? If I'm going to ask for anything else in my entire fucking life, this is it right here. Listen to this episode share it with everyone you know and when you go to share it tag South by Southwest S-X-S-W tag it in Facebook tag it in Twitter tag it in Instagram let people know that we were here let people know that you are a fan of what we are up to Um, this is legitimately changing our lives and when I say our I mean me Brian and Taylor we love you all so much we hope you enjoy this episode South by Southwest is amazing, and I'm going to go continue to drink. Charge our jets! Okay, stop that. All right, good night. Love you. Love you all. Good night. Welcome to Sick Boy Podcast, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick live from South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. My name is Jeremy Saunders. I'm Taylor McGilvery. I'm Brian Stever. And together, we are Sick Boy Podcast. <laughs> uh, we, we are so elated to be here in Austin. Thank you all so much uh, for showing up today. Um, we, yeah, this is, this is a, a really, really fun, fun experience for us. With the first time being in Austin, it's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, Brian, why don't you let us, everyone know what, what we're up to? So for those of you who don't know who we are, we started this podcast a couple of years ago, and the primary goal was to destigmatize or change the way that people talk about illness, and we use humor to do that. Um, but I, I want to make it clear that we don't think that illness is funny, but we do think that there are funny moments that come with being sick. Right, Jerry, you have a couple. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's there's nothing funny about someone who's you know terminal with cancer, but there's something to be said about the humor within the experience of being sick or the experience of being human. So, uh, a good example of this would be in October. Um, I went through something really severe called intussusception. So, essentially, my my large intestine was swallowing up my my small intestine. 
horrible experience. Gross. And, yeah, it's, and it's super nasty. And so they pulled out 70% of my large intestine uh, through surgery. Also gross. Super nasty. <laughs> but before they did that, there was like this preliminary thing that we had to go through. And one of those things was I'm in the emergency room and there's a rectal exam. Totally routine. Uh, and this large doctor, probably about the same size as you, Andrew, comes into the, the ER, and uh, I immediately notice the size of his fingers. Can you hold your finger up for a second? <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, you know, I'm expecting this man to be the one who does it. But he says, actually, you know what? I'm not gonna, going to do this. It's a university hospital. So he, he directs the, the resident. Um, uh, it was like a student surgeon that came in to do it. To do it. So she, she does what he says. She sticks her finger right up into my my butt, and uh, you know he, he explains how oh, to don't move, move your finger like that. That's what she had that. to do. It's what she had to do, and so she's moving it around. And I'm no stranger to having a finger in my butt. I'm a little unfamiliar with having a stranger have their finger in my butt. But I look up and and actually look into the face of this young doctor, and she's not so much of a stranger. I recognize her. And, and I can't put my finger on it. There's no, no pun intended there. <laughs> she leaves the room. They leave the room. They, you know, they do their thing, whatever. And they come back in to talk to me about whatever. And so I, I have to say it. So I say, excuse me, I, we know each other. And she looks at me and she goes, you're my yoga instructor. <laughs> now... Yoga class was never the same again. <laughs> yeah. Now, was that funny in the moment? No, uh, it was horrifyingly embarrassing. But in retrospect, it's it's pretty funny. And so we've found that this is not uncommon. This is very you, this is very uh, very common within the experience of living with illness. So we found that over the past couple of years of doing this podcast, we sort of built this community around uh, of people that have started to talk about illness in this very new and lighthearted way. It's kind of it's making the conversation easier to have. Because we're sort of trying to not have it be this this monotonous downer conversation, and we're trying to bring this uplifting, humoristic, uh, lighthearted approach to some tough shit and mm-hmm. some tough stuff that a lot of people deal with and have trouble discussing. So uh, we've we've kind of been building this community over the last couple of years, and and I mean being here in Austin. Try, having the opportunity to try and widen that net and broaden our community. We a, welcome all of you yeah. to our community of sickos. So thank you all so much for, for coming out. This yeah. really means a lot. And without further ado, I want to I throw it to today's guest. So please, together, uh, for all those people listening at home, let's give a really warm uh, round of applause for our new friend and guest today, Andrew. Hi, everybody. I'm Andrew Palmer. I'm a pro strongman, director of engineering at a company called Distiller, the world's largest liquor and spirits mobile app, and I'm also a leukemia survivor. So this is all, this is straight vodka, uh, supplied by Andrew and his, uh, so thank you. There we go. I hope you like it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. Uh, Andrew, you, so you are, uh, I want to get into the strongman ship, but before we do, let me know, uh, what is it that you're here to talk about? You're, you're, you're sick like me. We, yeah, we have I, something in common. I have what's called pro-B-cell ALL, so acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Um, That's a mouthful. Yeah, it is. It's a very long sentence, and I uh, very much agree with the sentiment of trying to put some humor into it. It's a dark topic, and <laughs> yeah. are, most people spend their time being nervous. See, one of the things I find interesting is that when we have guests on the show, they always seem to know this like new language. Like the, and the language is just the language of, like, 
the thing that they've been diagnosed with. And I'm always so impressed with people's abilities to like just sputter off these like super long words because I know personally I can't. I can't say what you just said. I, yeah, and I, you, you just can. said it, and I cannot repeat yeah. it back to you. It usually, it usually ends up being like, yeah, when you had that lymphoblastic back then. Yeah, that's, uh, that was, how, how was that? It I just, can break it down for you if you'd like. <laughs> Please do, yeah, do it. actually, yeah. Um, so uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia means it's, it's acute. Can, so. can you say it any faster, please? <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm also on a boatload. I'm on a boatload of corticosteroids right now for treatment, so I talk very fast. <laughs> Is uh, that why you're as big as you are? Yeah. Like steroids, that's the opposite. Opposite kind of steroids. Uh, yeah. You were five eight last year. Yeah, I was, was five yeah. seven, one hundred thirty five pounds. That's me. That is me. Oh. Five nine, but whatever, you know, close enough. One or two inches. Uh, so say uh, acute cell. A pro B cell. Meaning you lost me already. It's yeah. a lineage. It's a pre precursor to the B two B cells, which are a bl- type of blood cell, and it's an acute le- le- leukemia of that lineage of blood cells. So, is leukemia a? Um, here's the other thing: we uh, we're idiots, the three of us. <laughs> uh, we don't know much about anything. Is leukemia a blood cancer? It is. That's correct. Shit. Good for you. It is is when some line of your blood cells starts to reproduce misfunctionally and reproduce too quickly and not die off. Basically becomes immortal, so the cells keep reproducing without dying. Sure. That's crazy. So... um, how did you find out that you had this? Like, what drove you to want to go to the hospital? Did you drive yourself? Uh, I did the first time. I actually was seven days before I was in the hospital. I was riding my motorcycle through an island in Canada and had a weird, painful belch. And I kind of oh, wait. Yeah, seriously, no joke. That was my first. You had symptom. a painful burp. Yeah, I had a painful burp. That was my first symptom. And then over the next five oh. days, it like. Hold, got... Wait, wait. Just hold on a second. <laughs> What? How does a painful burp? How, how is that a how is that a symptom? How did you? Well, it, it like it was it really painful? It was noticeably painful. I've I've belched plenty of times in my life. Same, I'm with you. Yeah, it was noticeably different than any other belch I had ever I, had. I don't I don't know if I've ever had a painful. Belch. I have. I have. I've I've had. You, you, you've never had that like that burp that's like a little too high in your like. Yeah, you know, it doesn't come this from was down different here. than yeah, that, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. This, How was it different? It was like a, a swelling and pain in my lower abdomen that happened along with Ooh. the belch. Yeah. So something noticeably wrong. And it got worse every day for the next five days. So then you were like, oh, I have to go to the hospital. I had a painful burp. Well, I called my do- I called my doctor, and uh, we have a good relationship. I've had a lot of injuries from strongman, so I don't tend to call him unless it's something that I'm like, this is legit. Yeah. We need to deal he with this. He sees your number, and he knows shit. Yeah, so he was like, we're going to uh, open up the labs for you tomorrow. Come on in. So I, I went in, and they did some blood They did some blood tests. Was and your doctor like, painful belch? Uh-oh, <laughs> that's not good. No, it was more like, eh, it's a painful belch. We'll get you in here to check out. It's probably nothing. Don't <laughs> worry about I, it. That's what I figured he'd say. It must be really painful because you be, I, I'm just making it a total broad assumption that a man of your size has a high tolerance, a high pain threshold. Yeah, and it's it's especially strong from the training. Like I, I can, You could hit me with a shovel and I'll just keep moving. And you've mentioned professional strongman and we've kind of, we've like made a couple like size jokes that really landed with the audience here, but how big <laughs> are you so that everybody who's listening knows i'm a little under six five and about 330 pounds <laughs> that's the you three of like us combined three times as much as me Jared, oh, remember man the, remember the strongman question that you wanted to ask oh this is a total this actually is a total derailment of the entire podcast but Let's i have to know 
I watched a video the other day on the internet, and maybe anybody who like trolls Reddit videos might have seen this. There was this video of this strong man who was doing a deadlift. A deadlift is uh, simply if <laughs> let Jeremy's me never for done Andrew. one before. <laughs> let me explain for you. A deadlift but. is where you uh, you do this and then you do this. The guy basically picked up weight like he was picking up. Um, I don't know his grocery bags, uh, and so he was. But he was picking up like a thousand pounds or something yeah, crazy. Yeah, like his that. grocery bags, if they weighed a thousand pounds. That's right. Right. This man goes to pick up this insane amount of weight, and he's he is struggling at that. You can see the point where it's like, okay, I might not be able to do this, and there's that tipping point. It's very visual. You can see it. Oh yeah. Where it's like, I'm either going to drop this or something is going to kick in, and I'm going to make it happen and stand all the way up. At that tipping point, he starts involuntarily rocketing blood out of his face, out of his nose. Oh, absolutely. I've seen, I've seen biceps tear in half and roll up into their shoulder. Oh. I've seen blood shoot out the nose. I've seen people start vomiting. So I've, did his brain yeah. explode? This is not all the time, but it does happen. <laughs> Uh, no, it's just some blood vessels in his sinuses popped. Is that when you know? Oh, that sounded so casual. No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. nah, nah, so it's just casual. another horrible so, thing that happens. <laughs> is is that the point where you know that you've like actually pushed yourself to the limit? Uh, no, there you can go a lot further than. Oh knows. my god, he's yeah. like that's like twenty percent. <laughs> <laughs> it was really jarring, and I got really scared when I watched it. And then I was like, I'm going to ask Andrew about this during the live show. So thank you for answering that. Okay, mm-hmm. so just yeah. to just to rein it back in, then. Um, <laughs> so you, you go to the you go to the hospital then, or you go see. Your doctor and then what type of test does he do at this point well they he did some he pressed on my side a little bit and i'd had some high high like uh high cholesterol numbers so he's like oh maybe it's pancreatitis so he was pressing around in there he's like let's get a blood draw they did a blood draw and found out my platelets were sorry i wasn't at the microphone uh, my platelets were at like fifty thousand. they were super low what are platelets platelets are the cells in your blood that help you bl- help your blood clot and help you he- like basically heal wounds um so my, and they normally sit 150 to 250, and mine were around like 25 to 50. Right. So, they were so low. if someone, like someone with leukemia, uh, this is totally knowledge from a Scrubs episode I watched like five years ago. <laughs> um, if there's anything that's going to sum up this podcast, it's what we've learned from Scrubs and Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> and that's it. And uh, it was, you know, somebody. They're they're like shooting pool in this scene, and one of their friends is like, "Oh, I cut myself shaving this morning, and it, like I've been bleeding all day." And the two doctors are like, "Oh shit, is that something that like it, with leukemia you get a you get like a cut or an abrasion or something, and it just won't heal because of the low platelets? Is that a thing?" Normally, yeah, that's normally how people would encounter it. They'll have like an infection that doesn't get better, or they'll have like. Because it's mine was an immune system cancer. Okay, um, that's the B cells are part of your immune system. But in my case, it was uh, my platelets were dropping. They were already really low, but I wasn't exhibiting any real symptoms except for what's called splenomegaly, and and my liver was enlarged as well. So my spleen and liver were enlarged. Splenomegaly. Splenomegaly. It just means enlarged spleen. Right. And that's why I was feeling those that pain when I was belching. Yeah. Couldn't they yeah. just say enlarged spleen? Like, do they have to they make could. Yeah. They could. But they don't. Yeah. Splenomegaly. Well, it's like a me- megaloganglia uh, colon. Uh, ganglia megacolon. Yeah, ga- yeah. I don't know if that was right either. That sounds that was way right cooler. Yeah, it does. It, 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 a super ganglia megacolon or something like that. Anyway, it sounds like a superpower with your colon. Yeah. yeah. Some people have had it on our show. We clearly don't remember. So uh, how do you... So you go to the hospital, they, they, take your, they take your blood, and they're like, your platelets are super low. Is that... 
is that the moment where they're like, shit, dude, we think you have leukemia? I'm sure they didn't say shit, dude. But actually, um, that's almost exactly what my doctor said. For real? Shit, shit yeah, I mean, dude. He, like I said, I have a good relationship with my doctor. Right. And he was like, I'm going on vacation tonight. You know, we're going to get blood tests. We'll get results to you next week. And uh, then we'll figure it out. And he ended up missing his first night of his trip. And he called me at 7 p.m. And was basically like, shit, dude, I think you have some sort of leukemia. Uh, I don't know anything else beyond that. You're not exhibiting symptoms yet. So, right. so I'm not too worried. I'm going to schedule you for a follow-up with a, with a hematologist, a blood doctor. And is, is that like, I'm not too worried because you're not exhibiting symptoms, so you might not be that far along? Yeah, that was the, I think the assumption was, oh, you know, you you have this one specific symptom. Right. I'm not super concerned that you're going to like fall over dead tomorrow. What, yeah. What's that like? But e- yeah, even though, even though he says not like, I'm not too worried about it, I feel like the, the word cancer is and and however you wrap that word if he if he says leukemia like the, the word cancer is such a fucking heavy word you know it's oh, like it sure. is it is a it's a weapon and i i i, I don't i don't want to put anything on you but i'm curious to know like did you were when when you heard that word over the phone did your heart just sink or were you in was there some sort of like immediate hope or, or, you know, as someone who's a strong man, were you like, all right, cool, I'll just muscle through this shit? Or uh, That next week, I was pretty much like, I'm dead. Uh, uh, it's oh, over. Fuck, I'm right. totally dead. Like, I got to act like I'm, I'm dead. I got to start putting things in order. Why? Well, I don't know. I just, like, I, 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 my brother died when he was younger, and, like, I think it just kind of stuck out in my mind, like, oh, this is it. This is the end for me. Right. Um, and my doctor was super casual about it. Turned out he was it was much more severe than we had realized. Oh, no. That is hilarious. <laughs> I, I find a lot of this funny. So. <laughs> it's perfect. That's right up our alley. Do you do you think that do you think that if you weren't like good pals with your doc, he wouldn't have been like that? Um, yeah, I think I think he's a pretty responsible guy. I don't think he was being casual about it in any way. No, I think there was no reason for him to panic. And even like I know enough now, like there was even less reason for him to panic than it seems like in retrospect. So I think he, he was he did the right thing. He was exactly on on par with mm. what he should have done. How long ago was this? Uh, June will be two years. So okay. And how old are you now? I'm 38. Okay. Oh man! So, would you say that, like you mentioned, that your your brother died when he, when you were younger? Does that like add this, you know, this kind of element of like death is this like reality to death that you think you might not have felt had you not experienced that? Yeah, I think that that's actually that's the one biggest lesson I looked I took out of this, and I took it out of my brother dying too. Was like, and I've, I've actually got on my tattoo. My tattoo says "Death is coming," um, and it's. Sounds morbid to most people, but Amen. To, yeah, but to me, it's just like you know, every it's good day that it's a good day if you're not if you're still above ground. Yeah, so. that's a crazy thing because like everybody in this room, <laughs> that's like the one thing that we all share in common is the fact that we're all gonna die. Uh, absolutely, yeah. right? Yeah. People, we're all living from a terminal illness called life. Yeah, and, and we all live in denial of it most of the time. Yeah. And I've I find like it's a very positive thing for me to remember. Like, nope, it's coming no matter what. You may have escaped it for now, but it's yeah, still on its absolutely. way. Absolutely, you can't conceptualize the the length of time. You know, especially if you are on like the south side of I don't know. Let's say like the arbitrary number of like sixty. Then you're you're not like it's hard to conceptualize that length of time that you assume that you have left, and let's say like an average lifespan of 85. It's like, how can I as a 27-year-old <clears throat> conceptualize the amount of time that I 
think I might have left. I mean, it's very challenging. So we walk around thinking, oh, uh, death isn't for me. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to do that. That's something that. that happens to other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All, which we know is not true. Very delusional if you're <laughs> if you're walking around thinking that and really convincing yourself that. Like I, I honestly, it, it is. But more delusional. so the thought that we just don't have to think about it. Right. And that's the thing that is challenging society. I think. Right. Uh, it's just yeah. not thinking about a period. Yeah, I'm I'm lucky that I do think about like have to think about it and think about it a lot. I I I feel like it is one of the most valuable things that I've ever taken from being living with a chronic and fatal illness. It's, it's the greatest gift of all time to be forced to like examine your mortality. And, and it, luckily for me in, in, in examining that come to a point where I was able to embrace it as opposed to shy away from it or push it away. Absolutely. The more you, the more you look at it, the more you can actually live in the moment and not be not be not spend your time hiding from it. Yeah. Now, this, interesting kind of. I find this kind of interesting. I, this is something. CF is genetic, right? Cystic fibrosis. I was born with it. I've had it my entire life. I don't know anything <laughs> other than a life without this, you know, fatal illness. So, I never really had to go through that uh, that moment where everything is is baseline normal, and then all of a sudden I'm given this shit news where. Oh, you could die now because you have this thing. For you, going along, you know, going through your life, and then all of a sudden be, being being forced this news that okay, you have cancer. How how soon did you come to that that point where you looked at it the way that you you say you look at it now, and, and with this you know this beautiful reminder that death is always around the corner. You know, that's a, that's a really tough question to answer. I, I mean, I lit, and this is no joke, I set my lifetime best bench set the day I went in for my bone marrow biopsy. The next day I got thrown in the hospital. Uh, my doctor was like, my other doctor was like, oh, you know, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll get to you next week after my meetup. And he called me the next day and was like, uh, you need to get to the hospital. I'm referring you to an expert. I don't know when you're coming out. So it was that Whoa. fast. It like was, he called you. It, it seemed kind of casual. It seemed kind of positive. Like we think that you might have a leukemia, but it it this, seems like it's not very far along. And then the next day, he's like, "Never mind." Well, this was a the second doctor. So oh, my okay. first doctor referred me to the hematologist. The hematologist is a blood expert, right? Um, and he was like, "Oh, you know, it's it's probably cancer, but it, it's something that we can deal. We'll we'll figure it out next week. There's no rush." And then he called me the next day and like threw me in the hospital to another doctor who was an expert. Turned out my marrow was 100% cancer at the time. That's not made up. How does that? Whoa, uh, what? Yeah, that's the, that's the actual, like the actual number of the machine read stat was 96%, but the human readable number says I cannot, I, I've seen the handwritten note. It says I cannot find functioning marrow in this individual. So what does that Whoa. mean? Does that mean that well, like all throughout your bones is just, Cancer? Like yeah, yeah. Every single blood cell, my cancerous blood cells had expanded and grown so quickly that they had pushed all the other like marrow cells out. Oh, and so I was, Holy I was, shit. I was suffocating, like I was dying because my blood levels were so bad. I but basically you don't didn't really have blood. Feel this, like yeah, I, I felt pretty fine. I mean, I went and benched. 385 for 10 the day before. So I was like... 10 reps? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, it was... I, 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 I didn't Jesus make Christ. sense to Wait, me. you benched more than you weigh 10 times? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask if you thought you could deadlift me here today, but... 
Dude, never I can mind. carry you around South by Southwest for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> How much would you charge for that? Because yeah. I'm so fucking. Dude, I think on you've board. got like another type of like Uber slash Lyft scheme yeah. here. You're like yeah, a, I'd go to the patent office right now. You're like a rickshaw guy without the rickshaw. Yeah, You're just yeah. walking around. Yeah, that would catch on here. I think. Yeah, for sure. Put some just, lights on you. Just like a team of strong men. You get all your buddies from competing and go, "Yo, we're gonna go to festivals all over the charge world." Charge huge money to get. The thing is, yeah. we get a lot of requests from people asking for some strange stuff. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. so probably not gonna take advantage of us. So, Andrew, you said you said that like. Um, Initially, when you first kind of heard the word leukemia, you were you were like thinking, "Oh my God, I'm going to die." And at the point when you were then told that like your your bone marrow is a hundred percent cancer, like how do you how do you digest that and how do you deal with that emotionally? Um, well, one, I found out the marrow stat like a month and a half later. The okay. doctors did not tell me that. They Probably. were like, you're here and we're going to cure you and it's all going to be fine. While the nurses are like, sorry, you drew, a, you drew the bad card. Oh, and the, shit. I, it was like, it was, it was insanity. I mean, I was in the hospital the first day, had a surgery to install my, I, it was a Hickman catheter. I have a port now. Mm-hmm. Um, where a Hickman catheter is, because they were just like, you're going to need a stem cell transplant and we're putting it in. And so I had that done and like nobody had time to explain anything because it was, I was in such bad shape. What was the stem cell uh, transplant for? I've heard some pretty crazy stuff about stem cell transplants. Uh, that would be to basically kill off all of my existing blood and then because it was cancerous yep. and then grow new healthy blood from another individual in my system. Do you feel that? I, I don't have a stem cell transplant. I opted out of it three oh. days before oh, okay. um, based on a very long story of data, which we can, I can go to, into if you want. Just like research and stuff that you did that just pointed you in another direction? Yeah. Uh, historically, people with ALL, especially pH positive ALL, were considered very high risk. So I'm talking like 90 plus percent relapse rate, 85 percent oh, okay. death at five year survival rates. Like, um, so without a transplant, with a transplant much higher, but still not like amazingly higher. Yeah. Um, what is what is marrow? I've been. I'm continuously confused stuff by you suck out of the bones or eating wings, you know, and you get to the end and you crack off the end and you're like, it's delicious. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's what grandpas love. <laughs> mm, marrow. You know what I mean? Like, my grandpa loves bone marrow. It's kind of weird. <laughs> what type of like, chicken bone? Yeah, yeah like tur. I'm from Newfoundland, so like tur, this, uh, it's a seabird. It really doesn't Who matter. here knows where Newfoundland is? <laughs> uh, there's, for anyone who's not listening, one hand went up. <laughs> um, yeah, it well, it it is. It's like the it's the interior of the bone, right? It's like what the it's like what like what dogs are after. It's early blood cells. Oh, yeah, they, right, it's okay. those cells that eventually mature into blood oh. cells. <laughs> like I bone, was totally wrong. In, in <laughs> Here layman, we go. In layman's terms, is it like bone juice? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense, right? And I who is so. la- and who is Layman? Uh, that's and why really do we use good, layman's terms? Like, that who is, is such layman? A good question. Layman was some stupid, some really stupid person that they were like, "Well, we got to explain it to layman." I, you know what? If I was, <laughs> well, or, we're gonna have to really dumb it. We're gonna have to really dumb it down. <laughs> yeah, layman down the street won't get it, guys. Let's uh, <laughs> let's regroup. Um, so, I, I wanted to ask you about patient advocacy, and you mentioned it there that you opted out of the the stem cell transplant. What role has patient advocacy played in 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 your treatment process? 
Well, it was more that there's a huge amount of data out there, and it's really hard for patients to get access to it. And that's, I was in this situation where I, 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 not a joke, locked myself in my bedroom for a month and parsed out every study related to ALL off of PubMed and kind of built my own meta study out of it. I I went a little crazy. That's probably an understatement. Um, And I, uh, Anyway, so I parsed out this huge amount of data and like went to my doctors with some conclusions and had a big, big argument with a few doctors. And then all of a sudden, like this first long-term studies with something called a TKI had come out, kind of agreeing with what I was saying, agreeing (laughs) with my data. And all of a sudden, everybody was like, oh, there's actual data to support this. Let's... We can talk about it. Does this just come from your, like, is this just you, like who you are, you know, or was this a drive for uh, survival? Uh, I think, I think, yes, I think it was, I, I, I couldn't help but feeling something was wrong. Historically, the historical data also showed people not going into remission and for months and months and months, and I was in remission in 40 days. Like, I went from 100% marrow cancer to 0% in 40 days. Through what oh, treatment? Uh, induction chemotherapy, a regimen called hypercevad, and uh, also tyrosine kinase inhibitors, which is a TKI. We'll just call it that. Man, I, can we get a fucking glossary here? I didn't know we were going to have to hand this out to the audience. And everyone's like, what? TKIs are like, they're, they're, they were on the cover of Time like 20 years ago. So get, it's like the silver bullet of cancer. They see, target specific gene expressions. I get okay. TKI because that's three letters, but what was that other big word that you said? Uh, tyrosine? Kinase inhibitor, all of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All three. Above. It was three big words yeah. all together. Yeah. Uh, so when you went through the the treat, you said within forty days you went from one hundred percent marrow. Yeah, yeah. By, by I was when I got my first marrow biopsy done, I was one hundred percent leukemia, and right. then within forty days they did a second one, and I was untraceable leukemia. Okay, so I'm imagining that that is a pretty intense experience to go through such a you know such yes. an intensive treatment, and and then forty days later be in remission. Uh, what did that What did that do to you physically? What did that do to you mentally? What was the you know what? What did those treatments do to you? Um, I was seventy pounds lighter than when I had started, so, so still nowhere fucking near as light as me. Yeah, I was. I was still two sixty five, but I mean that was that was tiny for me at the time. Right, I, sure. I, I, I had also had like four ulcers from the splenomegaly and stuff, and like so I couldn't eat. So I was like a radically different person physically and mentally than I was. I was to be straight up. I was crying all the time. Like I was emotionally just. Drenched. Drained, yeah. Uh, yeah. From the experience or from like, like, were you taking hormones and stuff? Oh, and I mean, just... both. Like, ever. I mean, ex- you nailed it. Like, not just the experience, but also the massive amounts of corticosteroids that yeah. you're on, just like totally messing with me. And and what's that like? Um, obviously, being a professional strongman, I feel like there's this like kind of idea that you're like this macho dude. So, like, sitting in your room and basically crying was that was that. Um, difficult for you emotionally because there was this like you know kind of personality that you were acting out in in the strongman world i've actually always been pretty comfortable with crying i bro- i remember breaking up with a girl once and i'm like sobbing in this bar and i'm like i'm six five 300 pounds and can pick up a car i don't care if people see me crying <laughs> that's a really great rationale <laughs> it really is so i've never been super worried about like that side of things so you're not really yeah. gonna get bullied for it yeah right? well i mean even if, that'd be a really know. great yeah. superman episode where he's just like hey i'm superman i can cry if i want yeah. you see some like some guy I my size feelings too yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. guy my size walks by and is like, suck it up. And you're like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> um, but did you did you lose, um, 
Uh, I know that in you said chemo, right? The word chemo escaped your mouth at yeah, some yeah. point. Okay. Oh, yeah. uh, did you did you go through the sort of stereotypical losing your hair? And, Absolutely. And you know, um, uh, I guess you you did say you weren't really eating, but that was the ulcers. What did you did you did you lose that sweet sweet beard? You got I, I did. I was hairless for from like within two weeks of getting diagnosed through. February of last year. It's Com- that like, quick. Oh two yeah, weeks? I mean, within two weeks it started falling out, and then within two more weeks I was pretty much completely hairless with a few stragglers, and then I'm, I'm just talking like 20 hairs on my body, and then you know within the next couple of weeks everything was gone, and I was did, completely hairless. Did that? Did that fuck with you? Because I know that that's obviously something that comes off a lot with people. I mean, some people it doesn't affect them at all when they lose their hair; they don't really care. But some people it's you know devastating. Yeah, yeah. it bothered me a lot. I, yeah. My body image was changing so quickly in every way, and. I had a bit of a famous beard. If you ever look me up, you'll see some. <laughs> I looked it up, and it looks really good. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it looks like a, a kid could use it as a jungle gym. Like it's just my niece is used to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we actually um, before the show earlier this week, we were looking at pictures of you, and these guys were like, "Oh my god, we have to try to grow beards like Andrew." And like, obviously, they can't really. Yeah, yeah try, <laughs> look at these patches right here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm patchy. I can't. I just can't do it. Can't push it out fast enough. Um, do, when you were when you were going through the treatment and i mean obviously you are an above average man in size is there is does that play into how they treat you at all is there any difference in how they treat somebody who is who is who is your size uh yeah i mean lots of them one i take took much bigger doses of everything yeah i routinely had nurses and doctors saying this is the most of this drug i've ever <laughs> yeah. given somebody oh, really? <laughs> um, when i when they put my hickman in i was awake during the surgery um, oh yeah what? they because I'd never been given, I don't, I hate opiates, so I would like, I, they gave me fentanyl to knock me out, and all it did was make me loopy, so. Oh my God. Even no. though they gave me three times the normal dose, I was still awake. Oh my God. So I like literally asked them at the end, the doctor said, Andrew, are you okay? And I said, I'm bleeding to death, aren't I? Well, so. <laughs> They're like, we're legally not allowed to give you any more of this. Yeah. You may die. <laughs> yeah. Do you, does anyone not know what a, what a port is? Like how a port works? Or is everyone. That's all we need. It's crazy. Explain what a port is because it is pretty fucking wild. Um, so I started with a Hickman catheter, which is tubes coming out. But the, the short version is it makes it it's a tube. It's a port that lets you access your largest blood, your blood flow, which is around your heart and your superior vena cava. Uh, chemotherapy can make your blood vessels go necrotic. Mm-hmm. Which is why they can't just like put it through your veins. Yeah, they or... can't just put, put it through peripheral veins because they will they will literally start to rot and die. What's yeah. that called again? A, a, hic- a Hickman catheter. It's named after the doctor who invented it. And that was basically two long tubes that hung out of my chest was, for six months. He was probably the guy uh, telling layman things in like really like <laughs> yeah. dumbed down language. Yeah, that's right. That's that's probably correct. Yeah, they're probably friends. <laughs> do you you don't do you have the catheter still in there? I don't have the, the catheter. I have a port the though. Port? Yeah, I have a dual lumen port. So your so. port's still in there. Yeah, my port's my port is still right here. I'm tapping it right now. So crazy. I've never had one, and I know that the day will come soon. And it it's one of those things that like. Uh, well, you I, you probably don't know what this feels like, but I, it makes me feel really weak. Like I can't like make a fist, and I'm like, oh god, and just like, you know, you know what I'm saying? When you, you ever, think about having when, a port, yes. When I think about it, it's hmm. it it's uh, there's a number of things. Ports, you don't um, like needles. Babies coming out of like like during birth does that to me. I, I probably wouldn't be able to be in the room. Like if my wife got pregnant and had a kid, I'd be out of there for sure. Um, Sorry. There's a couple of other things. Um, 
Dude, I feel corn, like you were really the baby thing. Corn, corn, that fucking corn weirds me out. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you weak in the knees. Makes me weak in the fist. Corn, like on the cob or off the cob? Off yeah. the cob only and from the can. Off the cob. I was going to say, yeah. you really hate Iowa. You're like, yeah. You can't visit that yeah. state. Um, so you you are, just to fast forward kind of a little further into the, the, the story here, you, this was about two years ago when all this crazy shit went down. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a port in you still. I do. Are you currently? You went into remission forty days after they gave you gave you the meds. So I'm I'm still on chemo. You're um, still on chemo. Yeah, I'm on. I went through seven and a half months of what's called induction phase. That's like mega doses of chemo. I go into the. I'd stay in the hospital for weeks at a time. Um, and then that, as soon as that ended, I went into maintenance chemotherapy. Um, which is lower doses. So I go in monthly for infusions. I take between three and 400 pills a month. Um, Whoa. Of, so yeah, I'm, I t- I'm still on a ton of chemo. Um, and I still use the port monthly when I go in for that. Um, that'll end sometime this year, assuming I don't relapse. Um, and is that just, that's just like, let's do this for this amount of time after you are quote unquote clear. And just so that we are absolutely 100% sure that this will not come back. Well, this will be nowhere near 100% sure that it won't come back scenario. Right. I, or that it's gone from your body now. Yeah, I mean, even that's not, <clears throat> we don't really know that either. Even the leukemias don't really work that way. Blood cells are super small. So, you right. know, it's really hard to get everything in the body covered and eradicate them all completely. So, mm-hmm. it, and they, it could be years. I could have one or two in there still sitting there somewhere bouncing around and they could come back at, you know, at any point, I I will always be higher risk of relapse than a normal person would be. And is that the reason for the, this like really long term treatment? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Because the it's the so- goal is to catch any stragglers that we've missed. The hope yeah. is that we catch any stragglers that we've missed. Okay. It's a very real possibility that we have missed some though that they're still there, when- or that the TKIs will stop working and they'll start to reproduce. Mm. When did you relapse after the first like forty day intensive? I, I never relapsed. So I have not relapsed. I'm, but it's so it, this is just a continuous. Like this, this is like the, a two year. Oh yeah, it's pH positive ALL. The assumption shit, is that dude. you never cure it completely. Oh. They will. I've been told that I'll never hear the word cured in my life. Right. So are you? Yeah. Will you always? Let's let's just. I mean, in the hypothetical scenario that you never relapse, will you always be on some sort of treatment for this? Yeah, I'll be on the TKI forever. Oh wow, um, that's, shit, that's I permanent. No I'll be able to end like thank God all the corticosteroids, and I'll be able to end several other like the chemo, the genuine normal chemo stuff pretty soon but i will always be on the tki and is that pretty is that fairly unique uh, to blood blood cancer you know i don't I, I can't speak to other cancers i believe that the word cure is kind of falling out of favor in oncology yeah. in general right i, um, I know that it's fallen out of favor in blood cancers because just be the nature of blood cancers is that they tend to relapse yeah um, what are these tkis like is there any sort of long-term um uh, side effects or like anything that you've noticed from from being on them uh, i've been very lucky uh, part of the reason that i was a, one of the reasons that i wasn't too worried about gambling on the tki use was i've, I've exhibited no none of the common symptoms from them but they can they can have some pretty serious impacts on certain people fluid in your lungs or whatever else where you'd have to discontinue it and that would put you at higher risk of course too so at present day you're going through the treatments that you're currently going through Mm -hmm. what's the how are you feeling day to day i mean pretty solid you look great like i i'm actually i i'm i the thing about this show is the less we know generally, the better. Like, I find when we learn in the moment, I didn't know anything about where you were in your treatment, where you were with your cancer, anything like that at all. And so to hear that you're still 
in it. Like you're still in treatment. It it's sort of uh, that sort of like rocked me. I, I had no idea because you look great. You yeah, I mean, great. I was just in getting chemo on Wednesday, like just the other oh, day. Oh, really? Yeah, I went in and got an infusion and like started up my cortical regimen for the month. And and that doesn't uh, that's not like that affecting the hair or anything like that right now. Uh, I mean, my I, I'm unsure whether the current thinning is age related or <laughs> chemo related. <laughs> I prefer slightly, to think it's chemo. <laughs> slightly unclear at the moment. <laughs> Sick Boy Podcast. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. You are a strong man. And obviously, can you bring us through basically what it means to be a strong man, what that training is like, and then maybe on the, on the tail end of that, how has this, how has this experience affected your ability to compete, your ability to train, you know, and, and how you, how you go through your life as, as a, as a com- competitive, strong man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I started about 12 years ago, lift, started training for, or no, 11 years ago. Uh, I mean, it's pretty much what you'd expect. Huge amounts of heavy lifting, lots of eating. <laughs> the, I would say food is probably the biggest part of it. That's the biggest piece I mean, of training? Li- just lifting heavy constantly. A lot of, a lot of standard powerlifting style workouts mm-hmm. where you're just moving crazy heavy barbells around and then finding strange objects and doing strange things with them. Yeah. Do you ever get the urge to like just like push over a fucking monument or something? Like you, like when you're out and about you're like, ah, I can lift that car, watch. And- uh, before I competed there was a this there was a dump truck full of tractor parts in my hometown in Ohio that was broken down and a huge traffic I love jam. This already. And I was like, I could push that. So I parked my car and pushed it out of the road. <laughs> with, and, with no one around. Yeah. Well, there was, just you there was a cop car being like, we're not gonna help you with that. And I ended up pushing this dump truck full of tractor parts out of the road, and that was when I was like, "I should, I should do this. I should, I should do this yeah. competitively." Was that, was that like legitimately the moment that was like, "Huh, hmm, this I could mean, be a thing"? It's sort of a better story than that. Like, but I, it, I had always thought I would be good at it. I was always really big and really strong, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd always kind of wanted to. But that was kind of the point where I was like, "I think this is going to happen. I'm going to look up a contest. I'm out of shape. I'm going to do this." Coming to the the eating thing, uh, I again uh, watching a video online about a strong man and his like his his daily regimen on on diet uh blew my mind it was it was absolutely like bonkers as someone who lives with cystic fibrosis i'm i'm required to have double the calorie intake of a normal human being so what it's like what 2000 calories a day is like the the average two or 2500 something around right and so like someone with cystic fibrosis it's double that so like 4500 or or whatever dude you never eat that much though i I definitely you never finish your meals i I, I do struggle to finish some of my meals sometimes but i I do i do try and i'm always like adding things for like calories Mm -hmm. you know but you know whatever cheese peanut butter cream in the coffee or whatever um but what's like a what is a let's say you're training hard you've got a competition coming up what is like a day of eating for you breakfast lunch and dinner i mean if i'm really training hard and trying to pack on some mass for a contest 7500 to 10,000 calories a day i just, <laughs> I just gagged yeah i mean it's 
<laughs> it's terrible. Cool. You, know, you know what's funny though? I feel like we ate that much in like brisket the other day. We did. Uh, one of as the soon as we days. arrived, it's true. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. I'm still. I'm still recovering from that. (laughs) I I lose weight at 4,500 calories, though, so I'm I'm a big man. Like, so it's not as big percentage wise as it sounds. Sure. Yeah, but well, no, it is. Like, that's fucking crazy. You just said 10,000 calories. (laughs) Like, what is what is? How do you do that? Like, are you just are you are you like? What is a breakfast? What does that mean for breakfast? Like 322 eggs and 900 pancakes? Like, what are we looking at here? Uh, it was a, a pretty common breakfast for me when I was balking was six eggs, uh, like a thing of sausages, breakfast sausages. What is a thing? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 12 to 16 links? I don't, I don't know. Like, I chop them up, and then I put an onion, a whole onion in, and a bunch of cheese on it, and some sour cream and an avocado. That'd be a pretty normal breakfast. Uh, oh, my God. That sounds yeah. really good, but really it's normal. It, it was really good. No big deal. Yeah. What's uh, what's um, is breakfast the big one or are all three meals of the day big? Um, I, or is there like no such thing as breakfast, lunch, and dinner? You're just constantly. Yeah, when I was really training hard, it was pretty much just constant eating. There was a point when I was 390 and was trying to get to 400 pounds when I was like at my peak for strongman, and Holy I was just fuck. like I just never stopped eating. I, I would do whatever, and I couldn't. I would lose weight at 10,000 calories. How what's, much does that hurt? Like that that sounds. So uncomfortable to me. Also, yeah. no wonder your burps were hurting. Oh yeah. no, that was I had <laughs> dropped, I had purposefully dropped like fifty pounds when that happened. So it was like I was like the best peak physical condition I had ever been. But like what? Like what? Oh, and I just I just had a brain fart. I I, I asked something and then I forgot what it was because I just. That's okay. I my can pick stomach, it up. My, I'm literally like getting physically sick. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how much you eat. <laughs> well, uh, I, I was curious about. Um, we're talking about you being a professional strongman, and that's like a, a, a hobby of yours, or or mm-hmm. like a, an athletic endeavor, something that you obviously enjoy doing. So when you got um, sick, and obviously weren't able to compete in the same way, um, what was it like losing that? And have you been able to find something to replace that? Yeah, I, uh, it sucked, and I, I haven't completely lost it. I, I had when I first got diagnosed, I was like, "Well, that's over with," you know, and I was sure it was. But then I, once I got out of chemo, I was like, "I'm going to start training again." And I actually did a competition last summer. Um, took second, had a great time. I'm kind of on pause until I'm done with chemo. It's funny because, year. like, if I trained my entire life, you could probably lift more than me now. Then. Probably double what I would be able to do, dude. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. dude. Look at you, dude. Thank I, you, thank you. At least, least double. Yeah, at, at, at least. least, at least. I have a question. Do you know the mountain from Game of Thrones? I have. I have met him. I wouldn't say that I know him. Okay. He just yeah. broke a world record, didn't he? Uh, probably. He yeah, I think like two days ago, uh, okay. it was a deadlift record. He wasn't the guy that blasted the, his brain out of his face, but uh, he just set a he just set a record. But, so. Um, um, I'm actually curious to know just a little bit more about like the 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 kind of hobby or like what you have tried to replace um, some of your free time with that that you know like the the way that you look for a passion in life to yeah to yeah you have to have something to fill up your life other than your job you know so, right absolutely and uh, I, I've kind of I, well one I still train regularly but I've gotten into a bunch of other weird hobby electronics projects okay. I'm I'm mining Ethereum and Bitcoin with my computers which is totally silly um, is it though like yeah, I heard that I'm a little yeah. unsure on that at this point but I'm mostly doing it because it's fun I like I like building computers and things um, you know I do I do a lot of that I work I'm we're doing a ton of work on my house and I'm kind of just trying to. Uh, mentally get through 
<laughs> through chemo because I I'm so thrown off by the corticosteroids. There are two weeks of every month where I'm just like, what are those doing to you? Like you you we before we came up here to record, we met down in the lobby for the first mm-hmm. time. We were chatting about. Um, you, you were, before you agreed to come on the show, you were like, uh, I'm going to listen to a few episodes first because I don't really, I don't really trust these guys. And you said that the, an episode that stuck out to you was one that was titled, um, uh, these pills are making me crazy. Um, and you, you said it resonated with you and I'm assuming it's because of these, these, yeah, it's the it's, it, the title specifically. I assumed it was talking about corticosteroids. I was so like, this has to be what it's talking about. It wasn't. What are those steroids, so, and what are they doing to you? Um, oh my god, everything that I could—it's the worst. Everything else has been copable, but um, like last year, I was on one called dexamethasone, and I didn't realize it for a few months. But I had been not remembering the week that I was on it for like five months whoa, straight. Whoa, what? It took me a long time to be like, oh, I just don't remember the last five days. Like it's. Not just blurry, like I just didn't remember it. But like you were a black spot. But you were still yeah. like going about your day normally. You weren't like walking about like. No, no, I wasn't a zombie. I was fully functional. Oh, okay. uh, but I was, I was like, if anything, hyper functional. They like rev you up so hot. I, I jokingly refer to them as like tons of hard drugs, but with no euphoria. Mm. Um, which yes, yeah, so sounds, that sounds great right there. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like you're super revved up and hot for a couple days while you're on them. And you can't, like, I don't think straight. I'm impulsive. I'm, I can't imagine what it's like for my girlfriend. And then the week after that, you're, no joke, in withdrawals for five days. So I'm, like, in the dumps. Oh, really? So your body's just, like, craving. It's craving. It I'm not sure it's, like, it's not maybe not normal. I'm not sure whether it's that craving or whether it's just, like, the come down. It sure. sucks either way. So it's there's, like, 10 to 12 days of every month that are just Brutal. Would you say that those drugs are the like out of everything you've done chemo the the TKIs all that stuff would you say that these these um steroids are like the most intense in terms of ha- how it makes you feel or how it affects you Yeah they've been the most impactful on my life yeah. I think I mean the chemo, the chemo when I was inpatient was obviously pretty brutal mm-hmm. um huge amounts of bags of yellow and orange drugs being shot into me. So don't get me wrong, those suck too, but mm. the thing that has had the largest impact on my life has been the corticosteroids. What type of what type of support is like provided by the the hospital um, mentally when you're going through something like, like you're taking these corticosteroids and you know they're fucking with your your brain basically and and making you feel like you're going a bit crazy. Is there like a support or or information provided by the hospital that helps you get through that? Yeah, I mean, I think it varies for everyone and I was really like I responded really well to all the other stuff and had such minimal side effects that I don't think anybody looked at me and was like Andrew's having trouble because I was right. you know, I didn't have nausea where other people on the same regimen were throwing up 100 times mm-hmm. and and so I think they looked at me and kind of thought I was okay and my staff is awesome. So they've referred me to therapists and like helped me help me through with stuff and they've tailored meds but there's only so much you can do. There aren't a lot of people in my age group with my type of disease. It's usually much older or much younger so the support groups are mm-hmm. tailored for those. Yeah. I I find that I'm always really interested with like the mental health side of things um because when we like when we started this podcast too it was something that was totally alien to me um talking about mental health understanding mental mm-hmm. health and i think that in in the medical world as well it, it is something that is uh, much further behind than than physical health so i'm always interested in like kind of what um programs are 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 paired with the physical treatments that go on because i think oftentimes 
some of the hardest things to go through are the mental health side of things. Um, oh, I agreed. My, my mom had uh, cancer a year and a half ago, and the physical treatment went pretty well, but the mental side of things, I think, is what was the hardest for her. Mm-hmm. And it, it just always makes me, um, I think, really conscientious of that. And, and I think that is what is also important for us to be doing in, in the sense that like, we're doing this podcast to talk about that type of stuff. And sometimes you don't need to necessarily go to a therapist, but if you can just you know, tell somebody and get that weight off your shoulders, I think that that can go a long way too. Oh, yeah, even just talking about, talking about the stuff really does help get through the issues. Um, and I, we, have, we have staff that's trained in like, you know, drug treatments for it and like helping me find therapists and all that stuff. So it's, it's not like it's untreated or undealt with, but, right. but it's just it's a, it's a big thing to deal with. You mentioned that you have a girlfriend. <laughs> I do. Uh, and was, has she been around since your diagnosis? Oh, yeah, yeah. She was there through it all. So how has cancer affected your, your relationship with, with your girlfriend? I know that I, I, I've, we've speak to a lot of people who deal with cancer, and, and it, it can really take a toll, which makes a lot of sense. Have, has, it been, has it been a rough, rough go for the two of you? Um, I mean, at times, she was pretty rock solid through it all, even when I was like a total wacko. <laughs> um, she's, been, she's been pretty amazing, to be honest. Uh, um, my first thought when, we, when I got sick was to... You know, like I need, she needs to leave and like, I don't want her to see me go through this. I yeah. want her to, and, uh, she obviously was having none of that. Um, so, <laughs> um, and, uh, she kind of led the support through, through my friend group and family and everything and kind of took over there and has been, been really rock solid through it all. Have you had to, um, has this affected your, like your ability to make a baby? It has. Uh, yeah, I, I was. I'm, I'm probably infertile um, from it. Did you um, save any of your your little swimmies? Little I tried, but the timing like was uh, <laughs> it was so fast that like by the they had already you literally couldn't come. There was yeah, yeah, I mean, there was there was no like, time for yeah, masturbation. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a we need to start now. <laughs> they like the I mean they, the reason I was awake for the the Hickman it was so fast that they want the surgeon didn't want to install it because he thought I would bleed to death because my platelets were so oh, low wow. shit. but I couldn't my blood was killing my body was killing platelets so quick so anyway it was this like super dilemma on how quick can we get him into mm. chemo so there was that wasn't even discussed until right. four days after chemo yeah. had started so the the infertility thing uh, is that something that how, how do you how do you handle that or were you someone who always wanted a kid or uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that I wasn't, I mean, I love kids and I, I was never opposed to the idea, but it wasn't like my prime directive either. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. been a little less painful for me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it was more of an impact for my girlfriend. Yeah. Um, but I'm also like, I, I, there are other options too. So, and I'm yeah. not opposed to any of those. Yeah. You get a bird or like a, you know, a fish. <laughs> yeah. So many fish. options. We yeah. are talking about a puppy right now. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Hey man, I mean, that's a lot of work. For the yeah, first sure. three months, it's like a good simulation. Somebody said this really profound thing about adoption once um, to us, I think. And they were saying, like, because I think there are people who have this, like, idea that adoption wouldn't quite be the same as as giving birth to a genetic, Mm -hmm. you know, copy of yourself. But then, then somebody said... But you, if you have a dog, you love your dog, right? Right. I, I don't understand. You didn't give birth to the fucking dog, so. <laughs> this, like, genetic True. loyalty thing, I, it always really confused me in the first place. I don't think mm-hmm. there's, I think it's, so I think it's a completely fine option to adopt or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so a question, we, we're, we're coming up to time, but a question we, we really love to ask all of our guests uh, is, it's a two-parter. Mm-hmm. First one, 
What would you say your experience with cancer has taken away from you? Um, it, it took away the constant. Like I, I've always felt I was kind of invincible. I mean, I knew I was going to die eventually, but I was I was as close to invincible as the average human. I mean, you look invincible. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still feel it to some degree, but and in some ways, it made it even more intense. But but it really took away like that like kind of knowledge of like there's something out there that is going to get me at some point. I'm not invincible. I should stop believing that. What would you say uh, it's given you? Um, it gave me a really impressive outlook on all the things I had done right before. Um, meaning my social mm. group was fucking awesome mm. and stepped up in ways I can't explain. Um, I mean, taking care of me, taking care of Becky, uh, and absolutely putting up with my absolute lunacy during phases. I, like I, so it gave me a real respect for the awesomeness of uh, and importance of having a strong social group. Well, I got to say, thank you so much for taking your time to come up here and and sit and chat with us and and, uh, make our experience here at South by Southwest so special. Uh, It really does mean a lot. Yeah, I enjoy being here. And thank you all so much for for showing up and supporting us and, again, being a part of this this community. It, uh, It wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for the people who listen. Um, you know, we, there's this big initiative up in Canada called Bell Let's Talk, and they're, they're really big on pushing forward uh, the, the, an open dialogue or a conversation specific, specifically about mental health. And that's what we're trying to do, but with health in general, we want to change the way we talk about illness, change the way we talk about health. Which, um, which but, wouldn't be possible, though, without, without uh, you, like people like you guys to listen. That's right. right? So the, the people who are listening are equally as important um, as the people who are sharing their stories. And one thing that we have, uh, we've kind of come across or a realization that we've had over the past couple of years is that <clears throat> you don't need to be, you don't need to have a degree in psychology to, to be an ear for somebody who's going through tough shit. You know, you can be an ear, um, you can simply be an ear for somebody and be a really big support for somebody just by listening and opening up, uh, opening up for, uh, to, to be an ear for somebody. So, um, we all have that capacity. I don't know if we exercise it as much as we could, uh, but hopefully through what we're doing and the conversations that we're having, it's, it's becoming more, uh, it's becoming more accessible. So to everyone here in this small, beautiful, intimate little space and everybody at home uh, listening through TuneIn, we thank you very much. So thank you all. We... We've got five minutes. Uh, is is there is are you okay with like a, if there's questions? If there are questions, uh, a little Q and A. Yeah. Um, for there's a mic here so that the people who are listening at home can uh, can hear. Yeah. And the Q and A can be uh, anything anything for Andrew for uh, for for us for the show whatever it is. Start the podcast. And Andrew, how did you find out about it? Like, how are you here? Well, yeah. I found out about it when they messaged me a month ago and yeah. <laughs> asked if I would come on stage with them. We reached yeah. out. But the way it all, it all began was uh, the three of us, uh, we are longtime friends. We were sitting together in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where we are from, up in Canada. And uh, we were just trying to come up with uh, ideas for, for just a creative project that we could start together. 
Um, and we we're all huge fans of uh, podcasts. And I had been sitting on this idea for a podcast where uh, people who are sick talk about their experience in being sick. Someone who lives with cystic fibrosis, there's lots of stories there. And so I ran it by the guys, and they were like, well, let's do it. Let's record something right now. We sat down and recorded one hour, and that one hour recording turned into our very first episode. And we decided, all right, well, maybe that was a fluke. We've got a very, you know, a very special dynamic between the three of us. We're best friends. Let's see if we could do it again. We brought in someone we knew who had brain cancer, Matt Amiot, and he came in, and it was even better than the first one. And then it just sort of snowballed from there. People who heard about what we were up to started to reach out. And fast forward to today, we have a list of over 600 people across the world who have applied to come on the show and talk about their experience in living with, with illness. Yeah. I have a question for Andrew. Thank you for sharing your story. And I'm also curious at what point in your journey you became more comfortable sharing your story and found your voice. Mm. Um, I, not, I hate the word journey. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, you get asked, you get told that word a lot when you're, when you get cancer. Um, I started right away. I was just like, I'm going to start talking about the horribleness of this so everybody can see what this is like and be more realistic about it. So I started a YouTube series, like, man, I think, I think day one, like maybe the day I was in the hospital, it might've been a couple days in and started, did like a series of videos and just told everybody everything right off the bat. Amen. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Me? Yeah. Um, thank you. I, I work for the United Nations, and I started a podcast, as a fact, five weeks ago after a year of preparation. Contrary to you, ours was absolutely not organic because we have 12 UN agencies and more than 50 non-for-profits that are putting their stories on us to curate properly. So... Um, what one of the main issues, and it's based on the sustainable development goals, it's the global goals, but it's actually trying to make sustainability and the issue more approachable to people so that they understand that's something that matters to me more than anything mm -hmm. because I want my kid to have access to health and education and so on. So it's trying to take away the bureaucracy and put it in, 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 in terms that people understand with great music. So my one of the main issues that comes across every sustainable development goal and everything we're trying to do is stigma. And stigma so much how, how differentiates people and all of a sudden, you know, like not only people that are sick, but people that have, uh, are different also create that, that sense of uh, you probably belong to a different race than mine. You probably are not. So I would love to know, um, having done this for a long time, what do you think are the common ground? What are the things that you have found that always break down stigma? That you can, um, well, uh, we can actually, t I would love to anyways collaborate with you on our health episode when, when, when it comes to that. Yeah. But, um, but like, what are, the, what are the things that you have learned? Great question. Um, uh, humor, it, it was kind of an accident. The humor part of, uh, of this podcast was, was sort of an accident. We kind of sat down, we're goofballs, we wanted to, to talk about this. We used humor because it was the common thread between us. And I think the thing that we learned, a huge thing that we learned along the way was that it's the common thread, or it is a common thread through a lot of people. And using, you know, humor is, humor is quite subjective, but I think that, it, that humor, if you can use it in a way that works and that resonates with people, it can be a really great way to, uh, to bring people together and understand uh, and relate to topics that are hard to talk about and hard to bring people into. Um, you know, the, in relation to what we do and health, 
that's a tough that's a tough nut to crack and we it was kind of a happy accident that we found humor as the way to to crack it uh and that's been really helpful for us uh and maybe that plays a role in a whole bunch of other tough conversations and, and stigmas that need to be break that need to be broken down mm-hmm. i think i think for me the one word answer to that is vulnerability um if you can be authentic and open and and really truthful about your position and your experience and the way that you see things in in order to have like a very diplomatic conversation um, and put your true feelings out there I think that people will connect with that and resonate with that and then be able to like also contribute and weigh in on that idea as well uh, I, we have run out of time uh, we're going to stick around for a little while if you want to if you want to chat we'll be uh, uh, around <laughs> somewhere uh, thank you again For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.